Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Joseph. Yellow. And Jay Hugh. Uh, I'm not going to do caca today. I'm going to do this. <laughs> did that come through? I, love it. I absolutely <laughs> did. And it is something that I want to talk about, but that was outstanding. <laughs> that was perfect. Here to talk about Top Gun Maverick, um, the sequel, 30 years in the making, starring Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, John Hamm. I don't know who else. I don't remember. Uh, Ed Harris. Ed Jennifer Harris. Connelly. How could Ed Harris not be in a movie about the Navy? <laughs> well, they corrected it the second time around. Yeah, I know. Well, there's the guy that looks like Ed Harris in the original. What so Ed, true. Ed Harris would, would become to be. But yeah. uh, directed by Joseph Kaczynski who made Oblivion and Tron Legacy, I think, if I'm remembering his career correctly. I mean, look, I know you have a soft spot for Tron Legacy, but this feels like a step up. Yeah, dude. I'll go first. I fucking love every (laughs) second of this movie. It is the rare sequel that is better than the original. And I fucking love Top Gun. I've watched it like three times in the last month. Um, It's so fucking good. Even when it's like cheesy and cliche, which we'll talk about, you know, uh, whatever spoilers are in this movie, but it's exactly what it needs to be. And uh, yeah, it's fucking great. That's my opinion. See, I'm a big fan. I feel like cheesy and cliche is its bread and butter. You know, I feel like if anything, it should be leaning into that more. Look, I spent a a fair bit of this movie, uh, you know, kind of preparing for this podcast. You know, I'm I'm making comparisons in my mind and, and you know, kind of taking my notes as I'm watching it. And I was like, I don't know, prepared to have discourse about this movie and comparing it to the original one. And then the third act happened and I didn't give a shit about anything anymore. It's just so <laughs> fucking fun. Yeah. Uh, and Dude, look, it's, I, the, it's the best third act ever. It like might, it's, it genuinely it's might be. Best... I, I want to talk about it in more detail, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where like, I, you know, we will continue to talk about it, but I don't give it like I don't give a shit about anything else. It was the best part of the movie. It was one of the best times I've had in the theater in a long time. And it makes me want I like I want to go back and watch it again. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, the original um, me and Sarah watched it like the day before we went and watched this. But before that, probably the last time I had watched it, I, I, I watched it on like VHS. I had to adjust the tracking to watch it. So, you know, and I know we've said this about things before, but, you know, mostly in the vein of cartoons and stuff, but this was as good as I remember right. the original being. And that's not a diss on the original because I, I love it, but the original, it's an 80s movie. It's, you know, you you take an occupation or an activity and you bring an outsider into it and, you know, he finds a way to become the best in that activity, whether it's, you know, race car driving or bartending or being a pimp, you know, whatever. Uh, And, you know, basically the script just has to be threadbare. There's some jokes, then just cool shit happens. And that's what Top Gun is. And it's, it's great at it. Everyone who made Ghostbusters Afterlife should have to be nailed down and watch <laughs> this like clockwork orange style with their eyes fucking glued glued open because this is how you this is how you do this. They they gave it a little more depth. They wiped a little of the cheese off, but 
you know, they kept the basis of what made the original cool. And I, I fucking loved it. To your point, Hurt, uh, as far as making it cool, I feel like this is another rare instance of the fact that from the beginning, they turn the chair around and, and he's like, you know, hey, you kids, let me tell you what's cool. And then that actually was cool. Well, I should say there, there is a thing in the beginning where it almost seems like it might not be cool because he seems a little like Simon Pegg's character from The World's End. Hmm. Like he's wearing the same jacket he did basically in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's driving the same bike basically he did in college. But, you know, this guy was a lot cooler than that to begin with. So it's fine. He's still that at 50 or whatever age he's supposed to be here. Follow up to something that you said, Joseph, which is I think one mark of how to judge how good this movie is, is I literally walked out and I could have walked right back in Absolutely. and watched it again. Like it is a movie, as much as I've watched Top Gun, I have a feeling in the end, I will watch Top Gun Maverick. When I die, I will have seen that movie more. Sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, one more thing I wanted to say while we're just speaking in generalities, and this is something uh, my friend Austin Enfinger brought up, which, you know, uh, he doesn't have a podcast. So if you meet him in person, like and subscribe. And that's that this is not just a great sort of full circle for Tom Cruise's career as far as Top Gun, but it also really has a lot of parallels to The Color of Money, yeah. which I don't are, I've, ne- I've never talked to that mo- you guys about that movie. Are either of you familiar with it? I'm aware yes. of its existence in the plot, but I've never seen it. Well, I mean, but basically it's the same thing with Tom Cruise on the other end. Paul Newman makes sort of a legacy sequel to, uh, you know, his movie, The Hustler, you know, 25 odd years later. And Tom Cruise is the young hotshot in it. And uh, this really felt like a cool thing seeing Tom Cruise on the other end of that kind of movie, which is something Tom Cruise really doesn't let himself put in very much because if I have one complaint about this movie, it's that you, you guys know that I love old men on their last hurrah uh, movies. And Tom Cruise will never have his last hurrah. <laughs> he will never admit this is the last hurrah. That motherfucker is going to be hurrahing after I'm in the grave. That's probably true. Probably after all of us are in the grave. Right. It was the first time where I was like, man, you can tell Tom is in his 60s. <laughs> like there are shots where you're like, yeah, this guy's skin is a little too stretched out. I mean, look, he doesn't look like he's in his 60s, but he doesn't look like he's 30 anymore either. (laughs) That's that. Yeah, that's probably the better point. Well, definitely in the fucking thank you message at the beginning. Did you guys get that? We did. I didn't actually. I got it. It, You know, that one felt genuine and heartfelt and the audience like popped for it. I'm going to go ahead and say that's the last one of those I fucking need. I (laughs) I don't need to be patronized just because I made the heroic decision to come to the movie theater and watch a movie anymore. I'm good. I mean, look, I hate those things, but I saw a tweet that was having both Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise give separate thank you for coming to the theater things before my movie was serious child of divorce vibes. (laughs) I thought that shit was really funny. That's funny. I saw this in a Regal cinema, so I did not have to watch that bullshit ass fucking Nicole Kidman commercial. <laughs> Kate was like, what, what, how was the movie? And I was like, it was amazing. And it was even more amazing because I didn't have to see Nicole Kidman before I am. <laughs> Man, uh, this is this is off topic before we get into it. But I think you tweeted, I assume, right after you went to the movie theaters. I also had the uh, the Jurassic World trailer in front of mine. And we were just talking about how, like, the Top Gun trailer was one that, like, really benefited from being on the big screen. I saw the Jurassic World one in theaters, like, this is worse somehow than watching it on my, like, two-inch iPhone screen. 
one hundred percent. That tweet got no love, but I'm so fucking proud of it. <laughs> uh, so do we? Uh, spoilers? You want to talk about spoilers? Yeah, as much as there is to spoil in this movie. Okay, guys, I got to tell you. One, I love how this movie just starts off exactly as the original. I loved it, but the moment I really popped off is when we meet Penny. Because God, I hope you guys know what who Penny is, right? I do know who Penny is. Joseph, do you know? I didn't get it at the time, but I have since been reading the IMDb trivia. Fucking Penny Benjamin, the Admiral's daughter from the very beginning of Top Gun 1. Fucking awesome. Awesome. So much better than bringing back that ugly bitch from Top Gun 1. (laughs) Yeah, that was the thing I noticed most about watching Top Gun 1 again for the first time in a really long time is I'm I'm not going to go as far as say her call her ugly but she looked like everyone in that movie's mom back then there are very few attractive people besides maybe val kilmer i don't even think tom cruise is at his peak in top gun one right and i I tell you what i liked about about this also tom cruise seems to finally be fine with being short Uh, yeah yeah. i noticed that also any boxes like in top gun one there's an elevator scene where he had to be standing on three boxes that chick is three inches taller than him (laughs) <laughs> but but in this, he was just fine with being a little dude, which makes him a lot more endearing to me. It only took him 60 years to get there. Right. It's it's funny because uh, that's what I wanted to talk about when Hurt did his little uh, intro theme. And, you know, I loved the shot for shot remake uh, of, of kind of like the, the opening sequence to Top Gun. Right. Uh, the, the biggest shame in this movie of me is that it doesn't fucking use that theme anywhere else. Have you, did you guys noticed that? I, I did. And that does suck. But I'm going to give it a pass just for being so happy to not hear Take My Breath Away. Fucking yeah. disagree. Hard disagree. We'll come back to that. But well, like, when, 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 when did you watch Top Gun before this? Like two weeks ago. Because <laughs> I maybe you've forgotten that for like 30 straight minutes in that movie, they just play that song. I know. It's, it drives me nuts. Time. They uh, they also played Danger Zone three different times in the original movie, which is but also incredible. Fine. I I need Danger Zone three different times, but yeah. this, take my breath away. Not so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think that leans into the cheesiness. I I really wanted it to be take my breath away really badly, <laughs> and I was mad they didn't do that. Yeah, but yeah, there's just, there's just like a lot of generic like I don't know. There's a, a very like specific generic trailer music YouTube montage chord progression-y thing that they did for a lot of the music in this song. It's like motherfucker, you have a great theme, just use it. And they didn't. <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. I, on the flip side of that, I was thankful we got the like chime sound that always happens when something dramatic happens in yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go they go to it way too much in this movie. I'm happy they used it. I just think it they use it way too often. <laughs> but I was I actually enjoyed the score to this movie because it's one, it's Hans Zimmer, which I did not know. But two, I think it's a good balance of Themes you recognize while also presenting new things in a new fashion. I could have used more Danger Zone. I agree with that take. But overall, I, I thought the score was uh, a good balance. I just want full 80s. Just go full 80s on me. That's what I want. I don't know if this is true, but I know they were filming Top Gun at NASP. Oh, really? Uh, and so I think that shots in that bar are the Kubi bar at the fucking museum. Hmm. All right on. If for any local people at NAS Pensacola who can't go to the base right now, besides that one day like last week, but yeah. I, it looked very similar, but that could just be every fucking Navy bar in America. 
Fair enough. So, um, you know, all over the place, but is this the movie that finally made us like Miles Teller? No. It's important for me to say no, but... I don't like Miles Teller. He's fucking great in this. I don't like it. He has moved up the ranks. He started, I I mean... I I feel like for a lot of this movie, kind of by character design, he's got absolutely no charisma, which is really disappointing because Goose is all charisma. Right. But but by the third point of uh, the, the third act of this movie, was like, yeah, I kind of have a soft spot for this guy now. I mean, definitely he got the Goose look down. He looks oh, exactly 100%. like the Goose son. But I, I agree. I would have liked for him to have a little bit of Goose's humor in this. Which, you know, yeah. I mean, that guy thinks he's funny, so you'd figured he would have at least tried, but it just wasn't there. I, also I mean, saw, I also saw a tweet that was the most unbelievable part of Top Gun Maverick is that many millennials knowing the words to Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, that scene got me. It got me. I was like, Bradley's back on the piano. Uh, my favorite. I mean, I will get. I, I, we should probably just move to the third act. But no, I, I have shit to bitch about before okay, I talk about. Okay, this. hold on, hold on. But I, I do love in that ending. He does lighten up a bit when him and Maverick work through his shit. Yeah. But the Maverick do that pilot shit. Great <laughs> use of that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of the best lines in Top Gun One, and it was it was a really. I thought I thought it was a great nod. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, th- this movie knew exactly when to reference the first one. It did. It's just, a, a, I would not even say rare. It's almost like unheard of. Right. I, I can't think it's of a time impossible. where somebody's really nailed it. Yeah. It's really hard to do without at least hitting one groan. Yeah. I don't think I groaned to any of the references in this. I do have one bitch as well, Joseph, before you get into your list, which is that pilots don't say box. And they say it about five times in this movie. And as a person who worked extensively with pilots, if you say box, they start laughing like children. Because to them, you basically, you're in the middle of an important briefing and you just said the word pussy. That's what they think. Because they're children. <laughs> they wear pajamas and they call each other nicknames. And they, they, they just can't help themselves. So when they're like, you got to get it in the box. It's who's in the box, kid. They would not fucking say that. They would say container, which is way dumber. But that would have been the accurate representation. I do like, as far as accurate representation, the fact that these flight students did look more like children than I feel like they do in original Top Gun, which is more accurate to real life. Yeah. Why are they all lieutenants? They are all the exact same rank. That's not true in Top Gun. Goose is a junior grade, lieutenant junior grade. It was really weird. It just felt really lazy to me that everyone was like, had been in in the exact same amount of time. Mm. Right, right. That said, speaking of, you know, kind of the new cast, I don't know if you would consider this. It's sort of a passing of the torch movie. How do we feel like the new cast was? Uh, I mean, the, the, the best one was Hangman, you know, yeah. just because that guy had a guy he had to be and he was exactly that guy. <laughs> I really feel like I would watch a whole movie that was just uh, Phoenix and Bob as like an odd couple duo where they're like <laughs> learning each other's world and learn how to work together so they can be the best pilot team they can be. I, I, I like them a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are, are we just in the bitching side now? I just want to. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and bitch. I'm just trying to see what other things that guy who played Hangman has been in. Yeah. Uh, I will say, you know, I, I as much as there were more oily, mostly naked people in this montage, not as homoerotic as I was hoping for. No, one hundred percent. It did. It there. It wasn't bonerific at all. I, well, it was not bonerific at all. But you know, 
You know what is bonerific? The scene immediately afterwards with John Hamm standing next to Tom Cruise. If you if you guys if you guys aren't aware, John Hamm is pretty famous for having his penis just prominently displayed in tight pants all the time. Right. And I don't I don't know. I can't say for sure without a different angle whether it was pleats or his penis. But I was like, damn. All right, John Hamm. This is in a movie that's going to be around forever. <laughs> I mean. I've always said when social media went wrong was when uh, Twitter started being about politics and stopped being about John Hamm's penis. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's gonna be the hashtag for this episode. Bring back John Hamm's penis. <laughs> uh, John just, Hamm I, in this. I've always said that John Hamm is uh, like, you know, one, you know, just wild and crazy hamburger summer away from being Fred Flintstone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, um, uh, and he seemed like he was playing to that in this. I mean, absolutely. He, you know, he it seemed like he was like, I, I realize I've got to look like a fuddy duddy in this. So I'm going to make this like a uh, scrunched neck face every time on <laughs> on camera. So I don't look cool, which is good. That's what a heel should deal. A heel shouldn't try to get the cheers. The heel should try to get the booze. I feel like this it, all, it plays into kind of what you talked about for why he'd be a good Superman. I don't know. His his eyes are a little just too close together, and like he seems like he's a little dumb for being in the position that he's in. He doesn't express that in any way. It's just a look that he presents, and I, it works for him in this role. Right. I did want to talk about the beach scene real quick, which sure. is that Miles Teller nails that shoulder shimmy. I don't know how he did it, but his mo- his body is very flexible, and he gets the wiggle down perfectly. Tom Cruise, I'm sure, was very proud. <laughs> what is it? so just out of curiosity do you guys feel like there was a reason to kill off val kilmer in this movie i mean i guess just because they were never going to be able to use him in the way they want to use him again it just felt cruel <laughs> it did feel cruel particularly since that scene considering one of the two actors couldn't speak was really a well-done emotional scene i thought so too yeah like it, it conveyed the emotions of you know you really felt that after that first one, these guys became lifelong friends, which, yeah. you know, is what you want at the end of that movie. No, that scene is great. It's really great. I don't think he needed to kill him off, but it I doesn't, It that. doesn't serve any narrative benefit. It serves a lot more narrative benefit than killing off Meg Ryan did. That's true. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. Meg Ryan, it was, there was, like, literally, he could have made a promise to her alive, his alive mother, and it would have been exactly the same depth, you know? Like, she didn't need to be dead. It was just like, well, you know, death is dramatic, I think is what they thought. Yeah, that was weirder to me, was killing yeah. off Meg Ryan. I, I got that with Val Kilmer, obviously, you're very limited in what you could do with him, and you got him in there, and it was excellent. Uh, but then using it as like the plot point of like now John Hamm can take over the operation when literally five minutes later you reverse that decision was kind of fucking weird. Right. <laughs> but it did give us that badass Tom Maverick proving it can be done scene, which yeah. is awesome. Uh, yeah, Ma- Maverick. But by the way, we haven't. How have we not discussed that? That's totally the Star Wars trench run. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely what they did. Three meters. Come on. Like if you weren't, if you weren't seeing it, we'll make sure you see it by saying three meters, which I fucking love. Good. Do it. Even their little diagram looked exactly like the fucking plans to the Death Star. Yeah. But no, the best scene in the movie is when Dom Cruise does the Star Wars trench run. I loved it. 
my, my last complaint before we just talk about how awesome the third act is, uh, is I feel like this movie had a little too much emotional things in general uh, for me. And, you know, maybe it's just because I'm not as nostalgic for the original um, or the feelings of the original. You know, I, I talked the la- about whenever I watched it last couple weeks ago that I feel like that movie, like the theatrical cut is like a TV edit where they just like remove some stuff and you're just going to have to figure it out about what's going on. I think this movie could have done with a little bit more of that. And the other thing that bothered me, like tonally shift from the original movie is going out of their way to make Tom Cruise, the good guy, as opposed to just like, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, scampy, roguish, uh, right. uh, thrill seeker, which he is in the first one. Like if you watch the first one with pretty objective eyes, Iceman's right the whole time. Iceman is the hero of that movie. That, that is true of all those 80s movies. When you watch them in the adult, the person who was their main obstacle usually is an adult. You realize, oh shit, that dude was totally right. Yeah. And Iceman is no different. Uh, I just feel like, you know, there's the bit at the beginning where they do the Mach 10 run against the Admiral's orders where he's like, oh, you know, it matters to you guys. It's your guys' job if we don't do this. It could have just been like, hey, I want to fucking do it. And he did it. And then in like the command room, they're like, should we shut it down, Captain? And Captain would be like, oh, well, if he doesn't do it, we lose our jobs. Same effect, same information, uh, but maintain the character. And then, yeah, the whole fucking denying goose in, in the Navy Academy is like, he could have just done that because he wanted to. I don't like the fact that he had to promise it to a dead lady that looked too old to be in this movie. Right, right. I don't really agree with that because I think it's a good balance of Maverick being who Maverick is and yet learning the lesson of Goose. Like Maverick's whole problem in Top Gun 1 is that he's not a good wingman. Maverick is hangman. Yeah. Uh, And so what we see in this movie is Maverick still being the thrill seeker, the guy to push the limits, follow his instincts, and yet having learned the lesson of Top Gun 1, which is, I got to be a better wingman. Exactly to your point, the whole scene with him pushing the Mach 10, not only does he do it because he can do it, that's why he pushes past Mach 10, but he does it because he knows he's saving their jobs. To me, right. that felt very in line with the character. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with him like being, I just don't feel like the movie needed to justify it as hard to me as it did. Like they didn't need to in the first time and I still liked him. But may, I, I see your point. I, think, I don't think you're wrong about it. Uh, I mean, I will say to you, the, the Academy part, is going too far. You could have just done it in the first scene and that had been it. Yeah. The fucking Meg, everything with Meg Ryan <laughs> is weird. Yeah. <laughs> and shit, I'll be honest with you, I'm too stupid to have picked that up, but that is a great point. Hangman is Maverick. Uh, yeah. And, and they played him as the 80s style villain in this movie and that's yeah. fucking outstanding. Yeah. So the third act kicks ass. It kicks so much is- ass. <laughs> the third act, how much when you got to the part that I'm sure we're all talking about, did you worry oh shit, this could be lame. And then instead, it's awesome. I mean, I worried a lot. Are we talking about when he gets to the Tomcat, the F-14? Well, I'm talking about as soon as, you know, he gets shot down and for a second we think he might be dead. And then when we see he's on the ground and we're going to deal with a Maverick trying to, you know, get back to, I was like, oh, this, this could be lame. This could go stretch the levels of believability. And it does. And it's fucking awesome. It's fucking awesome. So I, I, I want to preamble with, so I, I've talked before on this show about like my love for movies that are well scoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I love the raid because the raid starts with going into a building and ends with the one person coming out of the building. I love training day because it's literally one day from beginning to end. Right. Uh, this movie fucking tricked me 
in that the whole movie is, you know, from, I guess, after the intro bit is setting up this like, uh, you know, three, four, five, however many weeks it was training period to do this one run and then the actual mission. And in my brain, I was like, that's the end of it. They complete the mission. The movie's going to be over. Uh, and so for them to pull the rug out from under me and do some extra shit at the end, I was like, well, this breaks the rules I was expecting. And then it was fucking great. <laughs> I have no notes. They did it perfectly. I was, I, was sure the movie yeah, I, was, I was sure the movie was over when the planes crashed and I was wrong and I was glad I was wrong. I really, and maybe I'm just a moron, I really thought this movie was going to be about Maverick accepting he's done. Yep. Like he's right. over. And then for it to be, no, Maverick's still the fucking best. <laughs> really, like, it took me to another level. I was fucking hyped. Because uh, I was sure of it. I was sure. I was like, we're going to give it. It's going to be awesome. But Maverick's going to be on the sidelines. Like, it's for sure going to be like Rooster and Hangman. They're going to go for it. Nope. It's fucking Maverick. And it, I love that. But two, the follow up is it could have been so cringy and so cheesy for it to be him and rooster in that f14 and yet it just fucking works it's just <laughs> such good payoff yeah after goose's death i the the audience i in popped for that shit they were yeah. loving it yeah I, I don't remember much of a reaction in the audience i was in but most people were drunk so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean for that point on from from kind of the the crash landing on i feel like you know, Tom Cruise and, and Miles Teller have a really good dynamic. Like the bit with them in the forest is really funny when they first meet up. The bit where, you know, they're trying to escape and the two uh, the two bogeys come up behind them and they're just kind of like trying to signal and pretend like they're <laughs> doing what they're supposed to be doing. Very funny. Yeah, it works well. Yeah, shit. I don't I don't even know what to say about it. It's just it's it's fun all the way around. The the actual trench run is a blast. All of the escaping bits fun. The the unnecessary dogfights, the getting saved by hangman at the end. It's just good shit. It also, you know, it is the difference between an old Tom Cruise movie and a, a new one because Tom Cruise obviously, obviously the thing that attracted him to this is, oh, there's a way we can suffer. We can do all these shots of yeah, like yeah, the yeah. G's tearing us apart and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's actually flying that plane, but you guys know he, he is certified to fly like actual fucking jets. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He has his commercial pilot's license. <laughs> And unlike Harrison Ford, he doesn't seem to crash his plane all the time. Seems to be at least okay at it. Yeah. So that kid was his, right? It's, well, I don't know. But... It's implied, oh. I feel like. Yeah. I, every time he looked at that kid a little too long, I heard that same music that on Arrested Development, Oscar used to give when he would when he would look at Buster and say something wise. That was that was definitely Maverick's kid. I like that headcanon. My two things that I walked away from this movie uh, absolutely loving that actually have nothing to do with the film. I only know of them because this film exists is number one, that plane at the beginning, totally fake, not real, but uh, Lockheed Martin, it's uh, like did so much work in building it. The Chinese government thought it was real and actually spied on the production of this movie. <laughs> to get intel on it. That's fabulous. That's great. Uh, number two, I found out, uh, with an interview, they were talking to Miles Teller about how hard Tom Cruise goes. And I didn't know this story, but the, apparently the stunt coordinator that was hired to make Ghost Protocol thought the stunts that Tom Cruise wanted to do were so crazy. Tom Cruise fired him to hire somebody else who would let him run down the Burj Khalifa. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
they wrote that into the movie because he wanted to do it. <laughs> and he, he found the one guy on the planet who would say yes. <laughs> I think that's great. You know, whatever we had against Tom Cruise for a few years, because he said he loved his wife on Oprah or some shit. I don't remember. But uh, I, I'm going to say we're, we're over it. You know, Tom Cruise better than Transformers. Agreed. We as a people. I'm not just saying we three. Right. Sure. I mean, look, the audience reception to this movie indicates that uh, we as a people agree with you, Hurt. Because right. uh, this has had like the, the best like week to week drop off of, of any movie in like 15 or 17 years or something. Just what do you think is the secret of this being so successful besides just being really good? I mean, look, I can tell you just just pulling the demographics coming out of my theater. It just it seems to appeal to white guys of all ages from birth to death. Right. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, that is a good decor- uh, demographic to uh, to go for. Yeah. Like, you know, there are a lot of them. I do think this movie specifically is like, I view it as kind of like, it wears the badge of the pandemic more than probably anything else because it was supposed to come out in like May of 2020. And like, just to describe it to people, Joseph Kaczynski made a whole nother movie that comes out this week on <laughs> Netflix. That's how long this movie has been in the can. Right. Um, and I just feel like holding off Paramount saying, no, we're saving it for the theater, saving it for the theater when other people didn't. Uh, it just had a lot of pressure on it. And I think a lot, a lot of people had built it up as like, this is, I don't know if it was a lot of people's return to the theater, but it felt to me like it was, the one that has, again, worn the cross of the pandemic the longest mm. for just how long they've held on to it. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it got, and I, I, I totally uh, agree on that. It seems like if this, was, if this was a biopic, this would have been the gamble that no one believed was going to work and then pays off in dividends, you know? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure lots of people said, go ahead and put this out. It's going to be irrelevant by the time it actually comes out. And it wasn't. It really, you know, blew the doors off the place. Uh, it got that audience that I call like the once a year audience. The people that only come out to see a movie once every year or so are the people who are coming to see this as well as the, you know, tried and true theater people. So uh yeah, man, I, I don't know exactly why it did, but it definitely has caught on to something. And I think it's great. Is that Top Gun Maverick? Yes. All right. What do we think? Better or worse than Transformers? It's offensive you even have to <laughs> <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, better than Transformers. I think pretty, pretty easily uh, unanimously. Uh, so cool. Uh, so that's it for Top Gun Maverick. What have we been watching this past week, guys? Uh, I'm going to talk about Stranger Things because I finished Stranger Things. Well, at least the episodes that are released. Um, A lot of people think this is like the second best season. I disagree. It's way too long and it's pretty boring. (laughs) Um, The villain is cool. And, you know, there are some interesting things. The problem with Stranger Things is Stranger Things had like the formula, right? Like it got good child actors right off the bat. And then they messed up because they kept adding and they got better at their formula. So all the people they've added in the three seasons or whatever since Stranger Things went are all fucking better than the original people. Max is the best actor on that show. And I want it to just be about her, Dustin and Steve. Like those are the three people I enjoy watching. Everyone else is annoying. Mike, Will, Jonathan, Nancy. I don't give a shit about any of them. 
any moment we spend with Hopper and Winona Ryder, fucking boring. It didn't have to be hour and a half episodes every episode. It could have been like 20 episodes and just been about Max dealing with Vecna's curse. That would have been way more interesting to me and it would have been way shorter. I'll finish it, you know, two more episodes or whatever in a month. But I mean, it's still better than Transformers, but it's just it's it's just too much now. It, it, it got bigger than I think it needs to be. It would be my perspective. I, yeah, I 100% think if they continue on with this show uh, after this, it should just be. And I think I've said this before on here, but whatever. They should just turn Steve into Ash. Yeah, that would be great. I, I mean, he's the best part of this now. And I really just want to watch him. Yeah. Did you watch this one, Kurt? I haven't, but I do want to talk about an aspect of it in my thing. Okay, well, I'm done. So. Well, well um, this week I finished watching The Mormon Murders. The Mormon Murders is great. Everybody should watch it uh, under the banner of heaven, the title of it. You know, it, it's dark, but it's hopeful. And uh, it, it, it's worth checking out. Uh I'm into the third season of Attack on Titan. I'm really digging it. I think the second and third season really benefit from getting away from just being the Aaron show. But the thing I wanted to talk about this week, because it sort of ties into Top Gun, my least favorite aspect of the original Top Gun has always been making that fucking Righteous Brothers song a hit again. You know, (laughs) everybody remembers that Take My Breath Away and Danger Own were big hits, but it also brought back, uh, what's that fucking, you lost that love and feeling? Yep. It brought that Mm -hmm. back as a hit. And I just, I hate that song. And that's my least favorite part of the movie. But this week, because of Stranger Things, a similar thing happened that I'm super on board with. A Kate Kate Bush Bush song. Yeah, Running Up That Hill has become a top 10 hit. Something it wasn't at its original release. And I fucking love that. It's such a great song. I love it actually. And I love it ironically. I love trying to sing it and failing. You know, I'm not always hip on, you know, what streaming has really done to music. It always it hasn't always been my thing. I think there's a value to owning a record. But in this situation, I really love the way it worked out. I don't think if it wasn't for streaming, this song would have got to have this second life that was bigger than its first life. So, you know, I'm going to, without having watching a second of it, I'm giving this season of uh, Stranger Things a better than Transformers just for making Kate Bush a hit again. That's all I got. Well, some of my have been watching. Well, I, I don't know. I have some direct responses for Hurt. For, first one is, I'm pr- glad you made it through the second season of Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan season three is top-notch shit. I can't wait till you get to the end. Right on. Uh, so at your and my family's behest, I started watching and finished The Mormon Murders. Right on. And I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> you didn't? How come? What didn't you like about it? I mean, I didn't feel like it was particularly, I don't know, I, I have a, a lot of thoughts about it, but I also don't really feel like it's good enough for me to spend a lot of time having thoughts about it. I just, I, I think they overplay, uh, so apparently this was based on like a real murder. So right. I, don't, I don't know the details of like how much of this is like real stuff, whatever, but just from like a drama standpoint, I feel like they overplayed the evil Mormon thing in the sense that I think all of the family, the the like, you know, the Lafferty's play like they know that they're bad people, which I don't think they have to do. I think if they played it straight, they would still come off as very evil. The only person I will, I will make an exception for that I think does a very good job is fucking Wyatt Russell. I love that that guy knows what his face is for and he does that. <laughs> I, I will agree with you on, I think 
you know, uh, Sam Avatar. What's his name? Uh, Sam Worthington. I think he's better in the beginning when he's reluctant and he should have sort of stayed as a guy who still thought he was better than the rest of him just to separate himself from Wyatt Russell, who's just such a lunatic. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, you know, I always think that that Sam Worthington has one of the most forgettable faces in Hollywood, despite being in the top grossing movie of all time, right. the star of the top grossing movie of all time. But damn, if he isn't pretty handsome when you stick him next to 50 of the ugliest white people you've ever seen. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think people like like the performances are OK. I think, you know, Andrew Garfield does a good job with his character. I just think his character is stupid. He's just like, you know, it, it, it does feel like a 30 Rock sketch where he's like the Mormon detective. But the only thing he's good at is knowing specifically Mormon related things. <laughs> that is true. As like a gimmicky character. And they really play that up, especially as we get towards the end. And I just don't understand. I understand this is like the first like big, you know, inner Mormon murder case uh, that he, it seems like he's dealt with. But like, I don't understand how this dude's been a cop at all. Like every single time anything happens to him, like he just has to walk out of his the room clutching his pearls and like almost vomits every scene. <laughs> it drives me fucking nuts. Anyway, I, I do think it's probably better than Transformers, but it's not as I don't know. I, I think there was a better version of this that could have been done, but they decided to go for like hammy on the nose. And also why did they do all the fucking like old timey reenactment scenes? What were those for? Did anyone like those? Oh yeah. I don't know if I loved any of them. I don't think I needed them. I understand why they were doing them. You know, I understand it was supposed to be kind of a parallel that everything these guys did wrong was written into the DNA of, you know, the Mormon doctrine. But uh, honestly, I just can't believe there there was an aspect of this I thought you were going to mention and you did. And that is that, God damn, those Culkin genes are strong. No fucking kidding, right? You never see a Culkin and wonder, is that a Culkin? <laughs> you immediately know, hey, there's a fucking Culkin. I was like, is that Roman? It's not. <laughs> so fucking close. It's wild. They're strong, man. Those Culkin genes are strong. Yeah, it's okay. Anyway, Kate and I are going to watch it soon. And uh, the one question I have is how many sects of Christianity is Andrew Garfield going to play before? I mean, he this, that? this definitely seems like his his niche. He's definitely trying for something. I feel like he's doing more for for the Christian community than Kevin Sorbo ever has. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think he gets credit for it. Ooh, that is an opinion. <laughs> it's it's a true one. I mean, yeah. it's real. I yeah. just it's just never been vocalized before. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I, I you know, I'm always watching anime and shit. Uh, the the one I want to talk about is one that I bailed on recently, which is called the Ancient Magus's Bride. I think is what it's called, and it drives me nuts because I I, I started because it's made by a studio that i really like it's like well, let's just go through their catalog but i was trying to explain to what it is it's, you know kind of like a super like you know whisked away to a supernatural world i thought of it as kind of like harry potter but if harry potter like asks no questions about anything <laughs> uh so like you know hagrid bursts in and says you're a wizard harry and then there's like a two second pause and harry just goes okay you know, kind of like the, the SNL version of like Chad, but for the wizarding world. Uh, but, by the way, I just want to say every character but Harry would be more likable in Harry Potter if that was the case. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be mad at them all for never telling Harry anything. I was thinking like that was my explanation of how I was going to describe the show. I was like, oh, shit, this is just Twilight. It's Twilight. <laughs> if, no, if, if instead of just people ex- explaining things by their own will, they just don't. And, and nobody asks them about it either. Right. 
It's fucking and irritating. I thought it was I, I made it through like eight episodes and I thought it was twelve and I got to the twelve and then there was a thirteen. I was like, nah, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> I can't do any more. So anyway, that's that's it. I want to uh, shit. I meant to do this up top because I know people don't make it this far because you know I don't know if people care as much about our things as we do. Uh, but we actually got an email this week, which is part of the reason we did Top Gun. All right, uh, up. from uh, from Trey, whose brother Marcus used to work with us at the theater. Oh, yeah. Uh, so first off, thank you, Trey, for, for emailing in. It's not that hard to get to us. Just this is it. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he said he was excited about our Top Gun episode. So I hope this delivered. Uh, you'll have to let us know. But he also wanted to let us know about a uh, podcast that uh, I saw is on Spotify recently called Batman Unburied, uh, which is like a radio mm. serial Batman story. Uh, but it's got Winston Duke as Bruce Wayne and Lance Reddick as Thomas Wayne and a variety of other famous people that I he didn't listen to email, but I know we're in it. I, I have had mixed experiences with the radio serial. I did the uh, the Wolverine, the Long Night, which I kind of liked, but kind of hated. But fuck it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give this one a go. That sounds interesting. I, I, I was aware of this and I've been thinking of giving it a, uh, a shot based purely on on the casting, because that's all really fun casting. But thank you again, Trey, for just for just reaching out. It, it's. It's so nice every once in a while to not just feel like we're screaming into a void, uh, <laughs> which honestly we would do anyway, but it's nice to hear back from you guys. But I think that's it for this week. Uh, do we want to do Obi-Wan now or do we just want to wait till the end of the whole thing? Well, we're four episodes in now. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. We might as well wait till the end since we've waited this long. Do we have anything in particular we want to do for next week? I don't. I'll okay. think about it. Yeah. I, was about to say, I do release- have a question, Joseph. Are you, watch- are you watching EXU Calamity? I am. I'm on episode two. It's I'm fucking good. Well, I have mixed feelings about this. We'll see. <laughs> I always have mixed feelings about things. You don't. You can't like anything. It's not in your nature. I really like Brandon Lee Mulligan. I like as a DM. I love. I love like the world, and I love, 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 love Travis's character. It's just it's fucking so great. Rocks all the way around. The one thing that irritated me about the first episode that I'm hoping gets better in the second episode. I don't like doing like separate vignettes to introduce all the characters because I feel like a lot of the joy of the table is the interaction between the characters and not necessarily the interaction between just the characters and the story that's laid out for them. And so that was kind of something that irritated me about the first episode. I, I still liked it, but I was like, oh, I still feel like it's missing something. But I'm hoping now that they're all together, uh, that will that will not be as much of an issue for me. Yeah, they definitely spend a lot. That is true. They spend a lot of time apart in the beginning. That does, I feel like, get better in the second episode. Yeah. I will say her just off the first episode because I finished it. I can tell you it's better than the other thing we sent you to listen to, but it's also <laughs> up to you. <laughs> well, maybe I'll try again. My favorite uh, moment is, uh, and I know we got to get finished this up. I just want to say this is Travis and Sam's reaction to Pervon. Yes. Very good. Great. Great. That's uh, it. <laughs> that is transformed. I love the, the, it's a normal name where I come from. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good shit. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's it for this week. Next week, uh, there's a lot of releases, new releases, things coming out on streaming. So I suspect we'll probably do something along those lines. One of these days, we're just going to get a shared like voodoo account. So we just have to rent things one time. But <laughs> we're still not smart enough after like four years to do that. It's really smart. actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to get your thoughts on the show or, or drive us to do uh, a specific uh, episode topic, it's not that hard. Just send us an email. Comment on Facebook. Uh, we'd, we'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, you can reach us at realphonies.gmail.com. Please rate, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at Real Phonies on Facebook and Twitter and on uh, at Real underscore Phonies at Instagram. Thanks, Zach Evans, for art and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys later. Later, y'all.